look with us. Romans chapter 1. We got down through uh, about verse 9 last time. Maybe in the middle of verse 9. But Paul, still in the introduction of the book, and Paul is uh, mentioned in verse 9, God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So we looked at several places uh, regarding Paul's prayer for the church, what that he prayed for, and so often it was for growth and knowledge and an understanding of the Word of God. And, you know, the need of prayer and the necessity of prayer within the church to pray for one another, to support one another, to strengthen one another. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. Because we all face the battle and the warfare and the onslaught of Satan. And you know where he works most of the time is in the mind and in the thinking and in the imagination of man. That's where he works. That's where he begins. And all sin that's manifested outwardly, it begins in the mind and in the heart of man. I believe James says that in James chapter 1. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So where does the lust and the enticement begin? That's right here. In the mind where Satan begins, and as a man's drawn away in lust, and as a man is enticed by sin, and if he lets that dwell and he lets that thought to continue, it'll result in the act of sin. So that the, the knowledge of the Word of God, the knowledge of uh, God's standard, having a greater knowledge of the work of Christ and our dependence upon Him might strengthen us in the inward man. That as Satan onslaughts the, the thinking and the imagination, we might have something as uh, Greg's going to get to in Ephesians, the armor of God to protect us from the fiery darts that Satan would throw. So he's praying for the church, making requests, verse 10, Romans 1, verse 10, making requests, if by any means now, at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So making requests to beg or petition as binding oneself. So Paul says, I'm coming to God as a beggar. And any of us that come to God, that's, that's really what we are. We're coming to God, begging Him to mind our request. And always remember, you know, I, I realize those that are saved, they are sons of God. They are a part of the family, heirs of God, joint heirs of Jesus Christ. But we come in this world as a beggar beseeching God to hear our request and not to be exalted in oneself. It's not that we're coming as a barterer with, well, God, <clears throat> I've done this, now you do this. And I think a lot of times that thinking is in the mind of man. Because I've done, God, I ask you to do. But that's not the way we come to God. <clears throat> Paul here, the apostle, is begging, petitioning God. And what he's looking for is a prosperous journey 
for help on the road is what that means. Success in reaching. Paul's desire is to come and to be able to see and be with the people in the church at Rome. His desire would get to be there and, and we'll see uh, to preach the gospel that they might be established. But notice that his desire is he's praying for a prosperous journey by the will of God. Now a lot of folks would say, well just pack your bags and go. But it's not that simple in this life. I mean that's the way the natural man thinks. But if man's going to be able to do anything, it's going to be by the will of God. And Paul, whose desire is to be at Rome for a long time, he's praying that God would grant him a prosperous journey, that he would get to go there and preach the gospel. So we know in uh, places, let, let me read the next verse. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. So Paul's desiring to go to the church at Rome and to preach them the gospel that they might be established, set fast, or turned resolutely, and that he might be comforted of their faith and that they might be comforted of His. It's again that community and unity of the church, one strengthening the other and being a benefit to the body. So in uh, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4 verse number 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. So be careful for nothing. That word means to uh, fear, to worry about it. Don't be overcome with worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So don't let these things to continually worry and drag you down into a pit of despair but come unto God and make your requests known unto Him. <clears throat> Again, the necessity and the need to pray. And Peter says that to cast all of our care upon Him, for He careth for you. So Paul is praying for something as simple as a prosperous journey to get to go see the people at Rome. What do you reckon we ought to pray for? What do you reckon we ought to, to seek God's will after? What do you think we ought to petition God for? Should we not petition, as he says in Philippians, in everything by prayer and supplication? Because the only way that anything will ever be accomplished is that the Lord will. In James 4 and verse number 5, and I realize we've looked at this some, James 4, verse number 15, I'm sorry. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. It's training the mind to realize who's really in control. Whether I say I'll do that, Lord willing, or not, that don't change whether the Lord's in control or not. 
But it's teaching me to realize who's really in control. Paul could pack his bags and head to Rome and he could wind up shipwrecked. He could head that way on horseback, get overtaken by thieves. He could have a brain aneurysm and die. The truth is, Paul's going to make it to Rome if the Lord wills and allows it to be. You know how you're going to live tomorrow? You'll make it to work tomorrow if the Lord wills and allows it to be. You'll be back at church next Sunday if the Lord wills and allows you to be. Recognize that God is in control of all things. Our lives are held in His hands and man only does as God permits and allows him to do. So that's, that's the meaning of these verses. In James, he's addressing people that's planning out years and years ahead and this is the way we're going to do. This is how life's going to be. This is what it's going to look like next year and this is what we plan on doing. We all do that to an extent in our mind. But realize this. Realize that the Lord's in control. And if we're allowed to do that, it'll be by the will of the Lord. He is allowing and He is keeping really. So Paul's praying, Lord would you allow me the opportunity to get to be in service with the church at Rome. Let me to have a safe journey to be able to go there and preach them the gospel and be a benefit to them. So God help us in everything. Be careful for nothing to worry about things, that's about the most aimless and pointless thing that there is in all the world is to continually fear, dread, and worry. That's of no benefit to anybody, now is it? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplications, make your requests known unto God. Be a great benefit, I believe, to make our requests known to God. So, for I long to see you. Paul's desire was to see and be with the church at Rome to the end that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. So Paul's desire is to go there and to be a benefit to the church that's in Rome. Is Paul going to add anything to their salvation? You know, maybe that would be a question. But as we look through this book, I believe you'll see that there is no adding to salvation. Those that are saved in Christ Jesus, they are perfectly righteous. Now if something is perfect and complete, how are you going to add to or improve it? If you make a hundred on your test, how are you going to improve your score? That is, that's the best you can do. That's everything is correct. Well, if the church is perfect in Jesus Christ for righteousness, then what am I going to do that's going to make me more perfect and more acceptable unto God? See, none of this has anything to do with my salvation. But it's in this life that we're tossed to and fro. 
It's in this flesh and carnal mind that we doubt, that we worry, that we fear, that we're led astray, that we're caused to believe something that's not true, that we're led down the wrong direction of this life. And you know, to be established in the Word of God, that can keep me from drifting away from the truth. It can keep me from drifting into a lie of the devil. Paul's desire is to go and that the church might be established, set fast. The word means to set fast or to turn resolutely. And you know, if I'm established on the fact that I am righteous in Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter what anybody would say I'm established in that and nothing's going to take away the peace that God's given me through His Son. Now you know why people doubt? Because they're not sure that they're established in Jesus. They're not established in the doctrine of the Word of God. They're not established and it's not individuals' faults all the time. We've got erroneous teaching. We've got wrong doctrine going, going out and people are led astray of the lies because they're not established in the truth. That's the truth. That's how all of these things get started. It begins that I don't know the book and then I eat the lie. But if I'm established on what the Bible says, I won't eat the lie. I won't believe it. I'll be able in my mind to correct it and say that is not what the Bible teaches. And there's so much in our area. And over our world, no doubt, every area has their own beliefs in churches. That's just the way it is, as odd as that sounds. But everything from end time doctrine here to marriage and divorce, all, all manner of things. People have opinions on, thoughts on. And the beliefs are not built on the Word of God. People don't know what the Bible says, so they believe what everybody else says. And they're led astray because of it. Wouldn't it be good as a church to be established in the truth? I believe that would be God's will and desire in Second Chronicles 20. Second Chronicles 20 and verse number 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. So how's a man established and how does a man prosper? By believing in what God says. But how can you believe something that you've never heard? That's what the Bible says. God says that question. So that we must be under the truth. We must hear the truth. If all I hear is a lie, I'm going to believe a lie. If all I hear is wrong doctrine, I'm going to follow doctrine that's not correct. Jesus said, let them alone. 
the blind, they be blind leaders of the blind. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were teaching things that were wrong. And they themselves were headed for the ditch. Well, you know what that means for all the followers? They're headed to the ditch right behind them. They're following the incorrect doctrine and they're being led astray from God by it. So what ought we be concerned with? I believe it would be a good thing to pray and make our supplication known to God that we could be established in the truth of the Word and not on the deceitfulness that Satan has planted in our world. To be established in the truth of the Word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3. So, let's, let's think just for a minute. In the first chapter of 2 Peter, verse 14, Peter says, Knowing this, that I shortly must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath shewed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Now that's another way of saying it, but he's saying the same thing Paul is. Peter says, I'm about to die. Jesus showed me that I was going to die, and I recognize that my time of departure is almost here. And I'm writing this book that you might always have these things in your remembrance. That these things might be established in your heart and mind. In chapter 3 verse 15, account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also in the other scriptures, under their own destruction. What were these folks doing that Peter was writing about? They were taking the scriptures and resting. That's W-R-E-S-T. It means to twist, to distort. So they were taking the holy scriptures written by Paul and the Bible says other scriptures as well because they were unlearned, they didn't know. And they were unstable, they were not established. They took these scriptures that they didn't know what they meant and what they said. They twisted them. They got another meaning out of it. And they were doing that to their own destruction. They were leading themselves and others astray by the wrong doctrine that they were teaching. So, the church, who Paul wrote to Timothy and said the church of the living God was the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's of no surprise that a lost and dying world, that as Brad said, has not been born again. It's of no surprise that they can't see the kingdom of God. They don't know what the scripture says. But my, if there's anywhere in the world that's going to know the truth, the church is the place. The place where there's people that are saved, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that there's teaching and preaching 
provided by God. Now, we ought to take advantage of what God's provided, grow, and be established in sound doctrine. Is it always going to agree with what I think? For me, it's when against several of my opinions, my thoughts of the way things are and the way they ought to work. It's not. But we're going to have to conform to the truth and be established on it. And you know, if there's something that we're unsure of, what does this mean? How, how does God work in this situation? We ought to be studying after that. Digging after that to the end that we might be established. Because the devil knows our weak points. The devil knows where we're not established. And that's where he's going to attack. That's where he'll fight. That's where he'll war. That I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, not carnal. That's what spiritual means. means that in a lot of places you see in the New Testament. But if you look it up in Strong's, it means not carnal. Not of this world. It's not going to be money. It's not going to be food in the pantry. It's not going to be a new vehicle. These things are not going to establish people and it's not going to keep them in the church either. Man has developed ways to draw people in, to get them to arrive and show up and maybe even write a check for the offering plate, but it does not establish people in the gospel of God. You know what establishes people in the Word? That it's not carnal. It's not of this world. It's not earthly. It's of the Holy Ghost of God. The only hope that any of you had of being saved was the Holy Ghost opening your eyes, drawing you to Christ. That was it. The only hope we have of being established and truly learning of the Word of God is that the Spirit would work in our hearts to establish us in the truth. And I would certainly say there's another thing for us to pray and make our petitions known unto God. Help us to grow. Help us to understand. Help us to be established by the Spirit of God. And I believe here, here is the heart of a true laborer for God. Paul's not coming to get his name farther out. Paul's not looking for his glory. Paul's desire is that he could be a benefit spiritually to the people in the church at Rome. He would like for them to be established. Paul's not going to gain anything out of this. And as a matter of fact, the will of God, the plan of God for Paul to get to come and see the church at Rome was that he would be arrested, that he would be tried, that he would appeal to Caesar, and that he would go in bonds as a prisoner to Rome. That's how Paul got there. But the Lord saw fit that he had the opportunity to preach the gospel to the people at Rome that they would be established. For I long to see you. So his desire to intensely crave the intense desire of his heart was to be with a church at Rome. Now how many have an intense desire to be with a church? Paul had never been here before. 
But he had heard. Remember, their faith was spoken of throughout the world. He heard how they were growing. He heard that how under persecution they were faithful to the Word of God. He had heard how they were serving the Lord Jesus in the Spirit. And he intensely craved to be with them, to see them, and to somehow benefit them through the Word of God. And today, people are supposedly saved. And the truth is, the church is what it is. It's on the back burner. And there's no intense craving whatsoever to be here. I believe it's been revealed through all that's been going on how little care there is for the church. There's going to be a pile that never opened their doors back up. Now if I'd have said that six months ago to a year ago, you'd have laughed. But there's places that will not reopen. People's got no desire to go back. It's over with. <clears throat> now, maybe this is off topic, and it may not be liked, but ain't it something that they want to close this down? But you can go to Applebee's, you can go to Cracker Barrel, you can go to Texas Roadhouse and sit with a hundred people that you've got no idea who they are, what they do, where they've been, what they've got, you can go there and sit down and eat and be just fine. Ain't that something? That's, that's our political world we're in right now. That ain't in the future. That's not conspiracy theories. That's where we are today. It's the truth. It's a shame. But you know what the problem is? I crave a steak every now and then. I don't care about church. That's the truth. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul's going to be benefited by being there. That there may be comfort together. So that Paul, by seeing there, and you know what a benefit it is to see other people filled with the Spirit of God, that's an encouragement. That's a strength. That's a blessing. And I believe that stirs up a desire in people that we might have more of that. That we might desire to be able to experience what they've experienced. That we would desire to be filled with a Spirit and have a portion of the knowledge and understanding that they've had. I believe all saved people experience that. I'd like to know like they know. I'd like to be able to understand like they understand. I believe that's a natural desire. That's a good thing. You know what that'll do? That'll put me in the book. I want to listen. I want to hear. I want to learn. It'll stir up my desire and it'll be a benefit to me. So Paul's going to be benefited by seeing their service in the Lord and Paul can be a benefit to them. Now that's the way the church operates. Greg has referred to several times as a spiritual potluck that we bring something to benefit the crowd and we benefit from something everybody else has brought so that the church is strengthened as a whole by what each member of the body would add to the service. <clears throat> the Bible says in 2 Peter 
or third John, I'm sorry. Third John chapter number four. Or third John verse four, I'm sorry. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So this is the Apostle John. He's writing to a church. And it brings him great joy to hear that his children, those that were saved under his preaching, is walking in the truth. That's a great blessing to the heart of them that are saved. Is it not a great blessing to the church for somebody to be filled with the Spirit of God and all get to partake of the spiritual blessing of them? It's a help to the whole body. It is. It's a benefit to everyone that's saved and to the lost as well that experience that. So our desire, it's not just that we can go and be benefited. That's the welfare mindset. But that if we're saved, you know, we can benefit others as well. I read a quote from Calvin, I believe. I read it last night and I'm going to butcher it. But there's no one so poor in the church that it can't be a benefit to the others. But if we're saved in Christ Jesus, God's imparted to us the same Holy Spirit unto everyone, and all can be a benefit to the service, and all that are saved can give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as other Gentiles. So Paul, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, because this is the way it works now. Paul's writing this letter, and they say, well, he's had years to come, and he ain't come yet. You think they said that? You think they were naysayers and haters of the truth that said that of Paul? You'll see that today, too. Paul says, don't be ignorant. I've desired to come for a long time, but was let. Now that word means prevented or hindered. So we could look in the book of Acts where they desired to go into Asia, but the Spirit bid them to not go. And in another place, in Thessalonians, and I'm probably not going to be able to find it. Yep, chapter 2, verse 18. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So there were hindrances of this life. You ever been hindered? You ever intended to do something and got hindered? I believe that's part of this life. So Paul says, I intended to come, but I was hindered in the work. So don't, don't hate because I've not come yet. My desire is to be with you. And now that's, that's the nature of the naysayers of the church that for the most part what they hate is the gospel. The word that Paul preaches, that's what they really don't like. So they'd like to undercut what he's going to preach before he ever gets there by making him appear to be something that he's not. Now, what does that sound like? You know what the devil did? 
He took the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God said if you eat it, you're going to die. So I believe we could say it was poisonous. He took the poisonous fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you can read it. And Eve looked at it and saw that it was good for food, that it was good for the flesh, and that it'd make me wise. He made it appear to be something it was not. You know what it was? It was death. It was death. But he's a liar, and he's the father of it. But Paul says that I might have fruit among you, even as other Gentiles. So in John chapter 15, verse number 16, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. So Paul's desire, just as the Lord Jesus said, I've called you and I've commanded that you bring forth fruit. So Paul's desire was to go and to have some spiritual fruit among the church at Rome. To, and, and you know, you think about this now. He's not going to be a show, but his desire is that the Holy Spirit working through him, and that is the fruit. I believe the two get confused very often of works and fruit. They are two different things. Fruit is that produced by the stirring, the inspiration, and the moving of the Holy Ghost of God. Fruit is something that's not worked out. The tree is not working to produce more fruit. That is produced naturally. So, the fruit of the Holy Ghost, that's that that comes out naturally from that that's planted on the inside. It's inspired and it's stirred by the wind of the Holy Spirit. So God, Jesus commanded that they should go and bring forth fruit. And why? What is the purpose of them bringing forth fruit? In John chapter 21, verse 17, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, no, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Be a benefit to my flock. You know what fruit does? The fruit tree? Something you can take and you can eat and you can be strengthened by it. It's what we were talking about earlier. The church being a benefit to one another. The Garden of Eden was filled with fruit trees. There was only one that you couldn't eat of. But all the rest of the trees you could take. Well, the church is filled with fruit trees. And if we're all producing fruit of the Holy Spirit, how enjoyable and wonderful and beneficial that that could be to anybody that would come into the house of God. So Paul desires 
that he might bring forth fruit, produce of the Holy Spirit before the church at Rome. And you want to know how. Now you might hear, you might hear tales, rumors, stories, accounts, testimonies from other people. But you want to know how that you can truly know who somebody is in the spiritual realm. You'll know a tree by the fruit that it bears. Now there may have been many that said, well, Paul's not an apostle because he didn't follow Jesus like Peter, James, and John did. He wasn't with Jesus when he taught. He didn't see the miracles like those other men. Paul's not a real apostle. And Paul faced that. I believe you can look in Galatians and see that he faced those very things and those very rumors. But you know, when they sat with Paul and the Holy Ghost came and bore witness to what he was saying and to what he was doing, how can you argue with God? There is no arguing with God. So Paul's desire is that he might bring forth fruit among them, that they might be settled. Verse 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So he's a debtor. So the barbarian, that word sounds like some crazy. But what it is, is you've got your Greeks. Now they spoke the Greek language. That was the most popular language of the day. And they were learned, and we can see in the Bible, they continually sought after wisdom. They sought after the learning of this world. And they referred to everybody else that did not speak the Greek language, they referred to them as barbarians. So Paul says when he's speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that if he come speaking in an unknown tongue, he would be a barbarian unto them. They could not understand what he was saying. So I'm a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So what did Paul owe them? Paul didn't owe them anything uh, to their person. But in Acts chapter 9, where Paul was converted, I believe we can see what he's speaking of. Chapter 9, verse number 15. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. In Romans chapter 11... Verse number 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. One more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So why was Paul a debtor? to the Greeks and barbarians and the Gentiles. Because God gave him an office to be the preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. And it was of necessity that he preached the gospel. God made it necessary that Paul go to the Gentiles and preach the word of God unto them. God had made him a debtor. It was his office that God had provided him. So that an ower, indebted, 
one held under obligation. That's what the word means. So Paul is being held under the obligation of preaching the gospel to the Gentile world by the hand of God. It was the work that God had put in his heart to do. And I I believe this. I believe it's just exactly the same as churches today and the pastor that in order for that to be a relationship that is beneficial, he's going to have to be a debtor to the church. Not because they pay him and he owes that to them, but for the spiritual work to be done and to be done right, God's going to have to put that in their heart as a work. And it amazes me today how that places take applications for a preacher looking for somebody with the right qualifications and they do not care whether God's put it in their heart or not. And that men are looking for churches based on what they pay and what benefits they get. Now that's the world we're in today. And that's very much in our neck of the woods as well. In western North Carolina. It's way out of whack, ain't it? Paul wants to go to Rome, not because they pay better down there, but he wants to go because he's indebted by the very hand of God to preach the gospel unto those people. It's his office that God gave. The problem is there's very little leadership of God today. And it's all by the thinking and by the figuring of man. So in verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So Rome, the place that he had not been yet, he had been all over the world, preaching the Word of God, all over that area, taking uh, three missionary journeys, preaching the gospel in cities, in towns, and in places, establishing churches, uh, trying to help people, trying to see the Gentiles be delivered from Satan and into the kingdom of God. And that office that God gave him, it made Paul's desire to go as far and as wide preaching the gospel as he could possibly go. And the next place was Rome. Now the world in this day was under Roman rule. There was one man, Caesar, that ruled the whole world. And the center of the world was in Rome. Now you can imagine what Rome must have been like in that day. If there was a major city, Rome was the major city. And there were people there from all over the world. They come there to do business. Maybe they come to bribe a politician. Maybe they come to seek after their will and their desire. Maybe they come to get rich. Maybe they come to trade and take back to their country. Whatever the purpose, Rome was a place where people from all over the world were gathered and would come. What better place to see the gospel spread through the Gentile world than at the capital of the empire of Rome? And just off topic, God's going to see that Paul gets to stand before the emperor of the whole world in his day. Now he's going to lose his head, but he's going to stand before him. 
God took a Paul to the emperor's house. And if God's hand's in it, there is no stopping it. That's what Gamal said. If this is of God, there's no need in fighting against it. You're not going to stop it. So, Paul said this. How, how settled was he? Well, in Acts chapter number 21, I believe we can see just how settled his mind was. Acts 21, verse number 12, 11. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So this is a man that's speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he says, the man that owns this girdle, it was Paul's girdle, he's going to be bound and delivered to the Gentiles down at Jerusalem. Now, if I heard that, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to stay at the house. Wouldn't you? If you go down there, they're waiting on you. They're going to arrest you. Well, the, the answer would be, well, I'm not going to go. But this is what Paul says. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. So now not only does Paul now know, as if he didn't before, but all the people in the place know, and they're all begging Paul. Now put yourself in their place. This man Paul introduced many of them to the gospel. And no doubt... What a great benefit to them that the Apostle Paul's knowledge, his teaching, and his preaching had been unto all of them. The last thing they want is to see Paul gone. So they're all begging him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. I believe we can see that. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that whatever come, he's in the hand of God, and his desire is that the name of the Lord Jesus would be exalted by whatever means necessary. So Paul went to Jerusalem. Paul got arrested. Paul was tried, always unfair trials. That's what you always see to occur. Paul appealed to Caesar. They took him to Rome. That's how Paul got to Rome. So that he's a debtor. How indebted is he? How great is his desire to get to Rome that he's willing to be arrested and taken as a prisoner across the sea to get there. And he got there. God saw fit that he would dwell in a, his own hired house and there he preached and taught day after day to the people of the city of Rome. And there's no telling how many were benefited by this. But the natural man says, don't go. Don't endure. So we're almost out of time. We'll look at verse 16 for just a second. <laughs> For I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. One of the more popular verses of the book of Romans, probably not the first, I would say Romans 10 holds the first, but here, a very well-known verse, and a lot to unpack here. But this is the start of the doctrinal part of the book. And Paul's going to lay it out through the book. And maybe we'll just look at this. The salutation now ended. This verse begins to look into sin. Sin and its overreaching power in man. Both in the Gentile world and in the Jewish world. Both in the, and I believe you could say it like this, in the unreligious and pagan world as well as in the religious world. I believe that's saying the same thing today as Paul was saying then. Then in chapter 3, verse 21, we're going to look at the salvation that God provided, sanctification, the struggle of sin and the warfare, being filled with the Spirit and the security of the believers, the election of God in 9 through 11, sacrifice and service in 12 and 13, separation, and finally the closing of the book. He closes just like this, remembering that this was a letter, this was written to a church. But what deep doctrines, and you know where it all begins? With the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else is going to come if there's no preaching of the gospel. Now that's an amazing thing to think about. But would you have ever been made aware of sin without preaching? Would you have ever been drawn to Jesus without preaching? Would you have been saved? There's no way. Without the knowledge of sin or the drawing to Jesus, there's no saving. It all begins with the preaching of the gospel. And we'll start in this verse next time. A lot to cover. Anybody got anything you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to add? Anything at all on your heart?